Good morning. It's our first day for our traditional service to be in our new home and how beautiful it is. We're so excited about this space. We're so excited about how we can feel a little more like family, be closer to each other, and uh, be able to hear each other singing better. It's going to be a great spot for us. We wanted to give you just a, li a few things to know as we transition into a new space, um, what to expect. We'll continue to do communion twice a month, and Hannibal will be here to lead us in that. There will always be a pastor here leading various parts of our services, and we'll have Hannibal preaching to us most of the time from the screen so that our whole congregation can hear from him and always be unified in having the same message. Additionally, we purchased a brand new grand piano just for this space. Um, yes, let's give praise to the Lord. Second Chronicles 30, 21 says, Levites and priests praise the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. So today we dedicate this beautiful resounding instrument to the Lord and his service. And that piano duet you just heard was its inaugural proclamation of God's power. So we're very excited about that. Yep. With that, we begin our worship with a responsive scripture reading. So let's stand and start our service together. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth.
amazing love, how could I be? That the God Almighty, all-powerful, eternal, self-sufficient, full of grace, full of mercy, independent, simple, and simply perfect, will love broken people like you and me. See, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it doesn't make any sense to me. I know that I have a lot of qualities, and I know that you have a lot of qualities, but I also know that you and I struggle with so many different things. And if we were to put everything that is good in us on one end of the spectrum, compare it to the other side of the spectrum, when we know that there's so much darkness and things in our hearts and in our minds and our thoughts and motivation, you have to ask the question, why would God, that is perfect and good, love people like you and me? And the answer is super simple. The most theological answer I could give you is just because. He loves you because he loves you. And I think that that's enough for us to be thankful. And I think that this is part of the reason why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we talk about communion, Paul says that the Lord Jesus... And the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. This is part of the reason why in communion, we must take the time to be thankful and to express gratitude to our Lord. To express gratitude because the Almighty God, for nothing else that because of his love, decided to love us and die for us. I want to give you three reasons why we should be thankful. And why is it that when we participate in communion, we should be thankful? Number one, I'm borrowing this from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says that we should be thankful and express it because delight is complete only when we express it. Meaning that even though we know that we have been accepted and forgiven in Jesus Christ, it's only when we say it that delight is complete. Therefore, we say, thank you, Lord, for going to the cross to die in my place. Reason number two, we should be thankful and express it because we all need to remember that we are recipients, not earners. Meaning, that part of the reason why we must be thankful is because we must remember that the only possible reason why Jesus went to the cross is because of his grace not because we earned it nor deserved it. And number three, the reason why we should be thankful is because that's the way we honor the giver. See, it is so easy to take the gift and walk away. You guys remember when your kids were little and they would take the gift and just walk away? What did you feel? Let me tell you what I felt. What an ungrateful kid. But to give thanks always honors the giver. So I'm going to give you a few seconds for you to examine your heart and to express gratitude for anything and everything that the Lord has given you and to express gratitude because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's take a few minutes there, a few seconds there. Thank you. 
So communion is for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to please take your cup and remove the side of the cup where you find the bread. Look at this. I got a double bread today. (laughs) Extra blessing. (laughs) Extra gratefulness. Either because the Lord is extra good to me or because I need it more than you today. (laughs) The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. You may now remove the other side of the cup. And the Bible tells us that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may take it. Our beautiful Savior, we are so grateful so grateful for all the evidences of your grace. We are grateful, Lord, because even though by nature we are ungrateful people and we take the gift instead of embracing the giver, even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, Lord, you took upon yourself the, the, the penalty of our sin. Lord, we're going to spend the rest of our lives being grateful for what you did for us. But today, Lord, as these elements enter into our body, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you, Lord, allows us to remember and celebrate the magnitude of your love and to express it and to enjoy it and to honor you. Lord, I know that in our midst, there's brothers and sisters that are going through difficult times and difficult situations. I pray, Lord, that in light of what we just heard and celebrated, they may remember that even amid darkness, Lord, you are very present. And for that, we are also thankful. We are thankful, Lord, that we get to worship as a traditional service that you have given us a place and a room in which we can express what is already in our hearts. We are grateful, Lord, to you because you are abundant in generosity. Please help us become more and more people of gratitude. Prepare our hearts, Lord, for the preaching of your word. Confront us with the reality of your word and transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says.
we respond to communion, to his amazing grace? Well, with wonder, with thankfulness, and with soft hearts. Why God would give us such an indescribable gift, we don't know, but he did. So let's stand and respond to that.
familia? Since we're in a new room, look at the people around you and maybe introduce yourself to someone you don't know, your name, how long you've been at Wheaton Bible, and then you may be seated. Good morning, church. Let's do it again. That was just rehearsal. Good morning, church. <laughs> well, it's good to be here. I don't know if it was me, but it seems that you sounded better this morning. It was beautiful. The choir, amazing. Amazing. Beautiful piece, amazing grace. Um, it is a joy for us to be here this morning and worship the Lord as a family, um, as one church. And I want to invite the ushers to take their places. We are going to worship the Lord through our offerings. Uh, while they take their places, I want to remind you that as we collect our offerings, this is also an act of worship. Here in Wheaton Bible Church, we believe that God has called us to be good stewards of what He has given us. So as we sing to the Lord, as we come to communion, and as we respond to His love, one of the ways that we also respond to His love is with our uh, offerings. Uh, if you are here visiting us, please don't feel obligated to participate in this part of the service. This will be a gift from us to you. But if you are part of this family, we know that this is part of our worship. So you may pass the plates. Thank you. 
as uh, we are giving an offerings to the Lord, I just want to express my gratitude with the Lord to allow me to be here with you in this first Sunday of this new season that we have in our church. Uh, we are back in this room. I remember a few years ago we were here, and then something happened in the world that made us go home and then watch the services from TV, and, and, and then we're back. And we're back here. And you know what? This, this room is special for me. You know why? Because uh, uh, eight, 15 years ago, uh, Iglesia del Pueblo, we moved into this room. And we would worship Sunday after Sunday in this room. Uh, it's a special, uh, special um, memories. I was having like a deja vu moment uh, not long ago when we were just worshiping and singing. Um, well, as we are saying, Katie said that this is uh, a good day of being thankful to the Lord, the Lord, the way that He has blessed us, the way that we can be together in this new space. And as we are um, finding our place and selling in these new places, I want to encourage you to do things. One, to come and continue worship with the Lord, continue worship with the church, worship to the Lord with the church. But two, find a place after the service where you can find a community. We here in Whitton Bible Church, we really believe that as a church, God has called us to walk in communities. So I know that a lot of you, after this service, you go to adult, your adult communities, and that's a blessing. If you don't know, if you are visiting us and you don't know about adult communities, ask someone. I'm sure someone who's going to either willing to invite you to their community, or we'll have some of our team here that will be more than glad to speak to you about our communities and our different groups. We really believe that God um, uses the church to shape the church by the power of His Word. So I want to invite you to pay attention. We have a video uh, when we are uh, addressing this, the importance of walk in community. Hey church, my name is Ashley Sell and this is my husband, Mike Sell, and we are part of a life group at Wheaton Bible Church. Life Groups has meant a lot to both of us. Um, we got married about five years ago and we uh, were straight out of Wheaton College. And that was a really transitional period for us. We had a lot of friends that moved out of Wheaton and we didn't have a whole lot of built-in community. And so joining Life Groups at that time was really important for us. Another thing that we love about our Life Group is everyone brings something unique to the table. We have people that are into physics, people that are into lifting weights. We have people that are into teaching. Every spiritual gift then as well is represented so that we can pour and feed into one another. It has been critical for the growing of our faith and everyone else's in the group. There are so many takeaways from Reengage. Um, one, the tools that you can use during Reengage and then beyond, and then the community that we've gained from Reengage. A lot of new friends. Just to be able to have that fellowship in a small group setting where you're learning from other people practically how how they're doing applying God's word in their own lives. I personally would recommend re-engage for, for any couple, um, regardless of how long you've been together or where you might rate your relationship. De hecho, uno de los grupos que más nos ayudaron fue el grupo de re-engage en español, que recién terminó y ha sido el mejor material que he conocido para matrimonios que he experimentado y estamos muy felices, tanto mi esposa y mis hijos, porque es un regalo para toda la familia. Para nosotros fue muy importante llegar a un grupo en el que empezamos a conocer hermanos, porque si no, entrábamos por las puertas y salíamos por las puertas el domingo como si nadie nos conociera. 
y nadie sabía nada de nosotros en realidad. Entonces, um, el, el estar en un grupo fue lo que comenzó para nosotros el poder empezar a conocer hermanos y, y poder recibir de ellos y nosotros también poder dar a ellos también. La verdad es que veo una cultura de querer crecer y aprender y centrarnos en, en el Evangelio y en la Palabra. Y, y yo creo que cuando tenemos oportunidades de hacerlo juntos es cuando de verdad podemos ayudarnos a mantenernos firmes y a verdaderamente crecer. Entonces, le animo a que lo hagan. Everyone watching this video has unique spiritual skills and the Lord wants you to pour into others and use the beautiful gifts that he has given you to love others and love him. So all to, throughout the morning, you will have tables in the atrium when you, will, you can know more about not only adult communities, but also other ministries that we have in our church during the week. I encourage you to do so. So I encourage you to find a place where you can find your community and also find a place where you can serve. As a church, we want to do this together. Um, I have often say to people when they come for the first time and they tell me, oh, this is a big church. Uh, and I tell them, yes, it's a big church. We have many spaces where we gather and we worship as a big family. But this doesn't have to feel big. You need to find a small group when you walk and make life with those people. And the, the church will stop feeling big when you find a group that you walk and follow Jesus with. So let's pray for that. Let's pray for that the Lord will allow us in this new season in our church Uh, as we are about starting ministry year, um, students are back to school very soon, either last week, this coming week. Many changes. Let's pray for God's grace to sustain us and um, joy along the way. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for uh, the opportunity to be here and worship as a family. Lord, we, we know that... Uh, Times of, and seasons of change, they always demand our, our attention, our full attention, but also um, a response from our hearts. And we want the, respond, the response from our hearts today to be a response of gratitude, a response of a joy and expectation for what you're doing in our midst and in the midst of our whole church body. We pray, Lord, that you will move in all these different spaces, adult communities, ministries, Bible studies. Uh, give us the gift of your presence in each and one of them. And Lord, allow us also to be part of them and participate and serve one another well. We pray, Lord, also for uh, our many, so many of our students that are going back to school. They're, they're going back to a new rhythm of this new year. We pray that your presence we go with them. Lord, we also, this morning, we don't want to forget um, our brothers and sisters, so maybe family in California as this hurricane is approaching. We pray for your protection. We pray, Lord, for uh, your hand over uh, their lives. Uh, and Lord, we also don't want to forget about the people in Maui that recent, recently have lost uh, everything through the fires. We pray, Lord, that the Church of Jesus um, may be present in those in those places, and that the love and grace of Christ will be evident to people that are suffering. We pray for our own family here in the different uh, challenges that we are going through. Uh, we pray for your presence in our families, in our struggles. May we trust in you fully and completely. And now we pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts for the preaching of your word over our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 
want to invite you to please stand up for the reading of God's Word. Today, today's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to verse 30. Uh, if you are using your journals, you can find this on the page 142. The Word of the Lord says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, familia. How's everyone doing this morning? Welcome all to Wheaton Bible Church. Welcome those of you visiting for the first time. Welcome those of you sitting in the East Worship right now. Uh, welcome every single one of you today. And what a blessing it is for us to get to worship together as one body um, under the love and care of one father, uh, under the love and care of one brother, and united by one spirit. Amen. And today we continue in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And for the last few weeks, we have been talking about the last days, the second coming of Jesus, Judgment Day, and a little bit about heaven. 
And if you want to know what uh, the, the proper term is used when it talks in theology about that, it's eschatology. Now, you don't need to remember that term because that, that, that term doesn't add to your salvation. So it doesn't matter if you remember or not, but I think it's important for you to know the term just in case you hear that term somewhere, somehow, at any time. All of that, ha- all of that stuff that has to do with the second coming of Jesus and the last days, is, is all, the term will be eschatology. Now, there's a reason why Jesus has been talking about eschatology from chapter 24 all the way to chapter 25. And I don't think that the reason is simply because he wants to talk about eschatology. The, the reason why Jesus is so emphatic about the last day, his judgment day, heaven, and all of that, is because he wants us to be affected by that reality. In other words, Jesus talks about that because he wants us to live different in light of that reality. Now, the parable we just read is known as the parable of the bags of gold. And if you read in another translation like the ESV, the title of that parable is the parable of the talents, which I actually think that is a better translation for that, uh, for that parable. But there we see this thing, and this is the principle we're going to talk about today, is that if the judgment day is a reality, and it is, that the, second, uh, the, the last days of Jesus is a reality, and it is, that Jesus will return, and we're all going to have to confront him. He was going to confront us face to face. That's a reality. Then one of the things that we should do is learn to put our, ta- our talents to work. So if Jesus is returning, and he is, then one of the things that we do as Christians is we get to work. Amen? So today we're going to talk about that under three uh, headings. We're going to talk about the gifts, the hearts, and the giver. The gifts, the hearts, and the giver. So I need you to do me a favor. Look at the person next to you, and you've got to say this, if you can. Um, everything you have has a reason and a purpose. Go ahead. All right, let's come back. Point number one, the gifts. So Jesus talks about eschatology. And it's interesting because I think that Jesus knows that one of the first reactions for people to hear this thing about Jesus coming and what he's going to do and all of that stuff is to adopt or embrace an attitude of passivity. Meaning, especially among Christians, which is super interesting, meaning that Jesus knows that when people hear about the last days and that he's going to come and make all things new, for some people, the attitude, it'll be something like, well, if Jesus is coming, if he's going to come soon, why worry? If Jesus is going to return and do the things that he's going to do, why do anything? Might as well just chill, sit back, and relax. Which is super interesting because that's a very fatalistic view of Christianity. And it's actually a very fatalistic view of life. And what we're going to see in this text, in this parable, is that Jesus does not expect us to live like that. Actually, what we're going to see in the text is that what Jesus expects, if we know that he's coming back, is that we put our gifts to work, our talents to work. And I think that the biblical reason is actually really simple. Because if Jesus is making all things new, as Revelation says, and Jesus is going to come back to restore all things, 
The most natural reaction, the most natural attitude for anybody that believes that and loves the Lord is to want to contribute to what the Lord is already doing. The most natural reaction for anybody has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And they know that he's going to return. And they know that he's going to make all things new. The most natural reaction is to say, I want to contribute to what the Lord is already doing. Therefore, the attitude of the believer is not passivity. It's activity. It's to get to work. And with that in mind then, let's get into the text. And look how the text starts in verse 14. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, the word wealth in the text, the NIV has chosen to use the word wealth, and people may assume that that has to do with money or only about money. But there's a reason why other translations use other words to talk about that word in the original. So they use words as goods or properties or possessions or talents or abilities or gifts or money. And I think that I think part of the reason why different translations use different terms is because that word in the original means all of that. Jesus is not just talking about money. Jesus is talking about, in a general sense, about all of our talents and all of our gifts and everything that we have received from him. So look at what the text says. That this man, this master, which in the story will be Jesus, was going on a journey, and he called his servants and gave them talents. That will be the word that I'm going to use for the rest of the sermon. And notice that the text says that he entrusted his servants with his talents. Now, if you don't like practical sermons, you're going to struggle with this one. Because this sermon is extremely practical. So from this point on, I'm going to give you five principles about the way we're supposed to look at our talents. Principle number one. Jesus says that everything we have is his. Amen? And that everything comes from him. Amen? And that whatever we have is because he's entrusting us with with that, that is his. That everything we have, church, is because he has entrusted us with that, that is his. And if that is true, church, and it is, no reason why anybody should boast about anything. Because we all know, according to the scripture, that everything comes from him. You know, I know that's hard to understand for a lot of the modern people because usually the tendency is to think that everything we have and actually everything we are is because we work for it. You know, we're part of a culture that says you could do anything you want if you put your mind in it. We are part of this culture that believes that everything we have and everything we are is because we made it work. I want to challenge that thought for a second, though. I want to make the argument that even if you work hard for the things you have, that even if you work hard for the talents you have developed, I want to make the argument that the only reason why you have that 
is because not only God gave you the talent, and not only he gave you the ability, but he also gave you the context to be able to, you, to, be able to uh, for you to grow in that area. See, let's say that you're the best singer in the world. But if you were born in a little community up in the mountains where there was only three people, don't matter how amazing a singer you are, you are not successful if you are in the wrong place. So my argument is super simple. So even if we believe that everything we are and have is because we work hard, not only we are ignoring that it is the Lord, the one that gives you the talent or the ability, but it is also the Lord that gave you the context for you to be able to use that talent or ability. Does that make sense? So at the end of the day, as Christians, we all should believe that our talents are God's talents, and he is entrusting us with those talents. Not ours, his. Now the parable continues, and then look at verse 15. It says that the master gave to one man five bags of gold and another two bags of gold um, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Can you say ability? Then he went on his journey. Principle number two. The parable says that everything you have not only God gave you that talent, but also the ability to use that talent. Not only he gave you a gift, but that means that you have no excuse for not using that gift. Because he gives each not only the ability, not only the talent, but the ability to use it. Now, notice that the text doesn't say that we all have the same gifts or talents or abilities. Actually, notice that the text says that not everyone has, even if we have the same talent, we don't have the same quality or quantity of it. So as believers, we could never, ever, ever say, I don't have a gift. And at the same time, we could never, ever, ever, ever say, I don't know how to use it. Isn't that crazy? Not only you got to acknowledge that the Lord already gave you talents, but also the ability to use those talents. No excuse why not to use them. Now, from this point on, the parable is going to start to make a difference between the first two men in the story and the last men in the story. Look with me at verse 16 and 17. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, put his talents to work, and he gave five more bags. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. Principle number three, you must put your talents to work. And the more you work them, the more the Lord will increase them. You must put your talents to work, and the more you work them, the more the Lord will increase them. I think it's important that we understand as believers that our talents and abilities and the things we have are not decorations, you know? It's like me giving you a list of all the things that I know I could do well, 
and never use them. I think that as believers, we have to acknowledge that the only reason why the Lord gives us talents is for us to use them. And the more we use them, the more the Lord will give you to do. I actually think that this is part of my story. So if you're, part of the, if you're new to the church, you probably never heard this. If you have been part of the church for a while, you may remember this. But I do this exercise all the time. I go back and I start thinking and remembering why is it that I got to this point where I am today. And actually, I was thinking about this because someone recently asked me, how did I prepare for the role I have in the church today? You know what's crazy? I didn't. I did not prepare for this role. The Lord did. So let me, let me, let me share it to you really quick. Um, I think that what made the difference in my life is, is that he gave me the ability to, to use what he had given me uh, in, in whatever context he gave me. So my first year of college, I was studying um, to get a bachelor's in Spanish literature. Now, let me make a disclaimer. This is B.C., before Christ. You must remember that. So I'm studying to get a, a bachelor's in Spanish literature, not because I love literature, but because it was the easiest thing to do. Before Christ. So Latino, Spanish, easy enough. What I did not know is that during that time, the Lord will save me. What I did not know is that the Lord, during that time, would develop in me this joy for learning and reading, which, by the way, I never had before. I, I, before the Lord, I can say that maybe before my conversion, I read like maybe two books in my life. And I'm sure it was because I had to. Well, during that time, because I became a Christian, I joined this little church, and the church needed a fourth grade teacher. Four students, fourth grade. And I never done that before, but the opportunity was there. So I started to serve in that room. And what I did not know is that the Lord would use that to develop in me a joy for teaching. Now, Time goes on, I got married. You know, Heidi was pursuing me for like ages, man. <laughs> I finally say yes, but now I need more income. So during that time, the city of Chicago needed a bunch of different teachers, and because I had plenty of experience in my fourth grade class with four students, I thought I could do, I could do that. I could teach. So in my first year of teaching, they put me in a sixth grade class with 35 crazy and yet beautiful kids. Well, not all beautiful, but like 20 of them. <laughs> kids from different backgrounds, nationalities, and social context. What I did not know is that the Lord will use that to develop in me not only to continue to grow in my desire to teach, but to enjoy different kinds of people. Now listen, because I love my students, I understand that I have to go back to school. So 
So I go back to school to get a master's in what it was called back then, bicultural education, because I wanted to teach in a classroom in a multi-ethnic setting, and I needed the tools. What I did not know is that the Lord will use that to kind of equip me to be able to navigate and teach and learn from different ethnicities. So I graduated and I moved to the suburbs. Actually, I moved around this area. And I started to teach here for a while. But then I joined this church. And later on, I become a pastor. And now I go back to school again. Because now I need my theological education. What I did not know is that the Lord will use that to develop in me the joy, for the-, the joy of learning and applying theology. Like, who would, have, who would have ever thought that the Lord would place me in different places and in different times and will give me different talents and abilities and interests? So now, I serve in a place where learning and reading is extremely important. That having the ability to teach is extremely important. That being in a multi-ethnic setting is extremely important. And that theology is extremely, extremely important. How about if I tell you that your story is exactly the same as mine? You just don't know it. That the Lord has placed you in different times and in different contexts. Has given you different abilities. Not only for you to have them, but to use them. He gave you not only gifts and talents but the ability to use them. Amen? That was, the man, that was the story of the two men in the story. So look at what the master says to them in verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Principle number four. What makes the difference is not what we do or how much we do. What makes the difference is when we are faithful with the few things we do. Did you catch that? What makes the difference is not the amount of things we do. It's how faithful we are with the few things the Lord has called us to do. Listen, I believe that Christians ought to be fruitful. But I'm also convinced that the only way we can be fruitful is when we learn to be faithful with the little things. I I actually think that that's super hard to believe in our culture because everyone talks about being ambitious. And what I find interesting about that is that when you look at church history, the word ambition was never a positive word. Never a positive word. It's in modern times that people say things like, you're not you're not ambition ambitious enough. Listen, there's nothing wrong with us having maybe to have more sometimes. But there's something wrong when we are willing to sacrifice faithfulness in the little things because of our desire for the big things. I actually think that it's very dangerous when we, will, we become obsessed with the big things at the expense 
of being faithful with the little things. The secret to fruitfulness is faithfulness in the little things. Amen? And now we see the difference between the first two men and the third man. Look at what it says in verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Verse 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And the text says from verses 26 to 28 that the master heard this. And he notices that this man is using this as an excuse for not using his talents. And he calls them, and we're going to see this, this later on, uh, that he, he says that he's wicked and lazy. And this is basically what is happening in the text. Um, the master says to this man, and I'm paraphrasing here, if from your perspective, if from your perspective I am a hard man that I gather and harvest in places that don't belong to me, if from your perspective, I am such an awful man and you are so afraid of me, then why didn't you grab the talent I gave you, invest it so I could get more money? And then he added, take what he has and give it to the guy with the 10 talents. And now look at verse 29. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Principle number five. If you don't lose, if you don't use what the Lord has given you, you will lose it. If you don't use the talents and the abilities and the gifts and everything the Lord has given you for his purpose and his glory, you will lose it. Remember how I told you that our talents and abilities are not decorations? Are to be used. Your talents and abilities are not for your resume. Are to be used. And then the master says something that sounds super harsh at the beginning. In verse 30, he says to this man, and throw that wordless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's the description of hell. And at least one person here listening to this sermon would say, well, that's harsh. Just because he didn't use the talent? I mean, he didn't lose it. Well, I think that in order for us to understand what's happening there, we have to pay attention to their hearts. The hearts of the two men and the heart of the last man, which then leads me to point number two. I want to make the argument that what makes the difference between the first two men and the last man is precisely the attitude of their hearts. Because if you remember the first two men, 
they did what they were supposed to do, and then they got to enjoy the master's happiness. But the last one went to hell. So I want to show you what the difference was. So let's look at verses 14 and 15 again, just really quick. Notice that it says that the master called his servants and entrusted his wealth to, to them, each according to his ability. And the reason why I'm showing you, showing you that again is because the word entrusted there literally has to be translated like this. It's when you give something that is yours to somebody else, not only you give it to that person, but you also give the authority for that person to use it. Right? It's like if I'm borrowing, you give me something that is mine, and then I say, you have my authority to use this however you want. Keep that in mind. So notice that the, notice, notice that the master is doing this thing. He gives them the talent, he empowers them, and he gives them the ability. Now, this is what is interesting here. The two men then understood that they had no excuses. They had the talent, the, they had the, the talent, the authority, and the ability. Right? And therefore, them using their talents was a way to honor the giver. You following? Them putting to work their talents was a way to honor the giver and a way to bring pleasure to the giver. I'm assuming that many of you guys are familiar with, uh, with the movie uh, Chariots of Fire. Very, it's a classic movie. And if you remember, um, here you have, uh, the, based on a true story, the story of this um, man called Eric uh, Liddell, which he was a runner. And there's a beautiful sentence in the movie in which he says this, the Lord has made me fast. That's the talent. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. See, that's the description of the first two men. They wanted to honor the giver. They wanted to bring pleasure to the giver. But that was not the attitude of the last man. The last man not only did not, did not appreciate that he had received that talent, but ignored the authority that he had and ignored the ability he had. He wanted to play it safe. He did not honor the giver. So here's a question for you. With your talents, are you honoring the Lord? Are you interested in bringing pleasure to him? And if you do, use your talents. Amen? How many of you guys have talents? How many of you guys don't have any? There's something more here that we've got to pay attention to. And it's this. That when the first two men did their job right, we see this in verses 21 and 23, that is when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And those words are also important because the word good there in the, in the original means that they did what they would have suspected for them to do. But the word faithful there is extremely important because it's the word uh, in the original is the word pistos, which is the same word that we use for believing. 
Now, why is that important? It's because what made the difference between the first two men and the last men is that the last men did not believe nor trust the master. And the first two men, the reason why they did what they did and the reason why they invested the talents is because they believed and trusted the giver, the master. See, not only they believe that they had talents, not only they believe that they had the authority to use their talents, not only they believe that they had the ability to use their talents, but they also believed and trusted the heart of the giver. That's why I, I would always say that, that obedience is always a sign of trust. And the reason why we are not obedient is because deep down inside, we don't trust him as much as we think we do. What does the last man do? He buries his talent. Did not trust his master. And what does the master says to him? Verse 26. You wicked, lazy servant. Now, I think that we all have talents. Because the Bible says we do. But I also think that trusting the Lord with those talents is really easy to say, very hard to do. You know, because we got questions and we got doubts and we got all of these things. So the question that I have to answer before finishing the sermon is, how do we do then to learn to trust them? How do we do then to learn to honor him with our gifts and abilities and everything that he's given us with our goods and our properties and our money? How do we learn to bring pleasure to him with everything that he has given us? And I think that the answer has to do when we pay attention, only pay attention to the giver. Point number three. And here, I want to share something that I learned from pastor, uh, an Anglican theologian called Andrew Wilson. He wrote a book called uh, Spirit and Sacrament, in which he talks a lot about gifts and abilities and talents and all of these things. And he says that the only way, and then I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he says that the only way for us to honor the Lord with our talents and bring pleasure to the Lord with our talents is when we do four things. We develop an attitude of thankfulness, we worship, we exercise a stewardship, and we pursue. So let me walk you through those really quick. Thankfulness. Thankfulness is required because that is the only way we remember that our gift is a gift. See, if you have to work for the gift or earn the gift, that's not a gift. The gift, by definition, has to be free. And Andrew Wilson says that when we are thankful, not only we get to enjoy the gift more, because it's a gift and we say it, but we also experience contentment. And this is his argument. If the Lord gave you this gift, is because he wanted you to have 
that gift, not somebody else's gift. And therefore, your talent is the best thing for you. So why crave somebody else's gifts? That's super simple. This is what he says, and I quote, Thanking God for his gifts forces us to ponder about the things we have and not the things we lack. Thankfulness. Number two, worship. He says that worshiping is really important when we, when we talk about talents and abilities and gifts because it is only when we worship that we remember that the gift we have is not about us, but it's about him, the giver. And I quote, he says, we do not merely acknowledge the goodness of the gift, but the goodness of the giver. We allow every gift to show us something about the giver, following the sunbeams back to the sun. And he will make the argument that it's only when we worship because of our gifts that is the antidote to turning our gifts into idols. I'm going to make it super personal here. I know that a lot of us have gifts. And sometimes we force people to honor us because we have that gift. And there and only there, I think that there's a tendency for us to turn our talents, abilities, and gifts into idols. So we don't find happiness unless everybody else honors you because of that gift. And what Andrew Wilson says is that we remember that the gift belonged to God and we worship him for it. We don't struggle with idolatry. Number three, stewardship. He says, and I said this already, that the way to honor the giver is to use the gift. Use it, church. You sit here in the church you sit in your community, you sit with your family, you sit with your friends, use it. Look at everything you have inside, the, the affinities and the things that the Lord has given you, use it. And even if you don't know what that is, then look around your community and look at what the needs are and do something. And if you don't know what you have inside and you can't see any needs, just do something. Because at the end of the day, your gifts have a purpose. You might not know what they are, but they have a purpose. Just as much I did not know why is it that I was so lazy in going for a Spanish literature degree. And number four, pursuit. You know what that means? Be faithful in the little things. Now, I don't think I can stop there. Because I think that the best way for us to honor the giver by using our talents, the best way for us to bring pleasure to the giver by using our talents, and the only way we have the motivation and the power to be faithful and fruitful by using our talents is when we remember that the giver became the gift. 
You guys remember verse 30? The master says to these men, you're worthless servant going to darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what I was thinking when I was reading that? I am that wicked servant. I don't always honor the Lord with my talents. Even as a believer, sometimes I worship the gift more than the giver. Not always I'm thinking about bringing pleasure to him. Not always I am faithful with the little things the Lord has, he has given me. And I think that you struggle with the same thing. Therefore, when we read verse 30, we know that that's what we deserve. But why is Christianity so amazing? Because the giver not only becomes the gift, but he takes the form of the worthless by going to the cross, taking the punishment I deserve, experiencing the hell we all deserve. And therefore, if our giver becomes the gift, now I have the power and the motivation and the inspiration to be faithful with the little things because he was faithful in the big things like going to the cross. Amen? Let's pray. God Almighty, we can see that as we talk about Judgment Day and the things that ought to come and the last days and all of these things, Lord, you speak to us, Lord, and you show us that not so we adopt uh, an attitude of passivity, but for us to see and be encouraged and called to use our talents, abilities that you have given us for your purposes and your glory. Lord, we want to honor you with our gifts, talents, and abilities. We want to honor you, Lord, with our possessions, our money, our goods. Lord, we don't want to be like the wicked, lazy servant, Lord. We want to be like the first two. Trusting you, believing you, knowing, Lord, that you would use, that you would use us however you want to use us. So, Lord, I pray against, uh, against this, a spirit of fearfulness. I pray, Lord, against a spirit of laziness. I pray, Lord, that you make of us people of gratitude, people that worship, people that are good stewards, and people that pursue. Because why wouldn't we do that, Lord? When the giver became the gift by going to the cross. Lord, please keep us from worshiping the gifts instead of the giver. Because there's a reason why we are still here. To use what you have given us for your purpose and your glory. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches. 
In response to God's word, we're going to sing a song that offers ourselves to him. So let's stand and sing together. We lift our voices, we lift our hands, we lift our lives up to you. We are an offering. Lord, use our voices. Lord, use our hands. Lord, use our lives that are yours. We are an offering. All that we have, all that we have, all that we have to be, to be, to be, to be. receive this blessing Jesus has won for us as we go out to love and to serve with the talents he has given us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. We all say amen. Love you, church. You are sent. Amen.